the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Great to be with you. All you need to do is just one hour here together and you'll figure it all out. You'll hear from the best people. You'll understand everything. You can also follow up by going to ProAmericaReport.com, ProAmericaReport.com, and uh, check out everything there. Sign up for the Daily Wink. goes out at 5 a.m. Pacific time. I never stop working for you. And it goes out right in your inbox. Today, I mistyped. Should have said export. I said I wrote import. Very de- devastating. Good check, though. Good check to see if people are listening. Uh, reading closely and immediately, within moments, greatest readers, greatest uh, recipients of the emails in the world, greatest uh, part of the team emailed back, about five of them. People love to tell you when you mess up. It's so funny. They love to tell you when you make, especially a typo. Anyway, fixed it. Uh, fixed it on the second batch that went out. That's one of my tricks, by the way. They go out in batches, so I fix it on the second one. So hopefully not too many people see it. Anyway, ProAmericaReport.com. Sign in there. Hope you had a great weekend. I did. Tons going on with the kids and the family went fishing with my sons got skunked i always get skunked i'm a terrible fisherman but my son caught a fish that was good we only go we went for about an hour down on the dock near where we were and it was great really fun and of course my sons care because whenever we go fishing i make sure to either bring them uh sugary soda you know like sun kissed or even coke regular or some kind of treats so this time they wanted nerds i don't even know what that is except it's like sugar colored colored sugar hardened into little bite-sized pieces and that's terrible for you but anyway they had a good time so we had a great weekend and uh, we're into it i am uh, live from the swamp i was great to great to be on with andrea k earlier tonight andrea k the great andrea k show i hope you're tuned in there go to the answer san diego.com for her show my show get everything there as a podcast and it looks like you know we she and I were hatching our plans. We were going to be in Florida together, not together together, but in Florida at the same time, because we were both going to broadcast from the Republican convention in Jacksonville, Florida. Well, that's off. And we, I don't even know if there's going to be a Charlotte, North Carolina portion of the convention. I just don't know. So I'm hoping to be a part of it, but we'll see. I'm not even sure we can tell, uh, but we will, uh, we'll, we'll stay tuned. But go listen to the Andrew K. Show. Uh, you always should. All right. Listen, what you need to know today is kind of an important one. Um, there's been a transition and we need to note it because David Horowitz always teaches me to, um, to, uh, say what it is. Don't, you know, not, 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 not beat around the edges. Yeah. I just got a text from one of the listeners. Nerds, they're pebble-sized sour candy that have a great crunch. I don't know. Okay, maybe. But anyway, it's um, it just makes my sons happy. And that's, you know, when you're fishing, when I was a boy, whenever I went fishing, it seemed like we had something good like uh, soda or sandwiches. I just remember it as a boy. That was always a highlight. I mean, and again, I'm a terrible fisherman. I, I like being out there, but I don't really, you know, I don't worry, I don't worry about catching much fish. But hey, back to my point here. Transition happened. 
and we need to name it because you're not going to see it in the press much. You're not going to understand what's going on. You know, it's up close to 60 nights in a row in Portland where people gather and they, they say they're protesting, but they're not protesters. They try to burn buildings. They try to burn federal buildings. And then recently what's become clear is they are assaulting. They are uh, terrorizing. They are attacking law enforcement this time with lasers so much so that there are i think there are 10 confirmed uh injuries and two people that may have two law officers that may have permanent damage permanent kind of blindness because of lasers now here's my point you don't get to say you're out for a march and a protest chanting and even if you like kick over a, a garbage can or even push on a fence I, I that's getting closer to uh, a riot it's getting closer to terrorism but it's kind of uh, I'll, I'll let it lump into the pro- protesting uh, side of things you know when you burn some stuff that's that's pretty far along right I mean if you burn your own stuff or burn each other maybe that's okay but when you start to burn buildings and burn garbage cans and then when you attack federal buildings and federal officers you've crossed the line you're not protesters you're rioters and you're not just rioters you're terrorists so we have terrorists on the streets because understand this isn't the era where you're using a a laser in your you know your kind of pen shaped uh flashlight you know a pen light where you'd use for a powerpoint display or just a regular display on a on a on a, uh, on a, a blackboard or something in the old days nowadays these lasers have been fine-tuned by technology they're still very cheap cheap, relatively inexpensive there, but they're potent. They're not quite Star Wars or Star Trek is what I was thinking, where you have a zzz to use a gun, but they're getting close. They're, they're getting close. They're lasers that are meant to maim. If you were able to afford it and you could get into it, there's technology lasers that can burn people. Uh, I don't think most people can get that easily, but they can get the stuff that is maiming, terrorizing law, law officers. Now, that my point here is that it's time to cross over and be a little more frank. If you have a laser in your hand and you're trying to blind a, a, law, a, a law enforcement officer, blame, you know, you're trying to blind a cop, I believe I would say that's use of lethal force. I'm not sure you could die from it, but pretty close. And I would say you would be well within your rights if you're a law officer to shoot the person. Because you could really lose your life. You probably, at a certain point, these lasers will be so strong. If you get them into your eye, it can damage your brain. I wouldn't be surprised. But this is so far past things. And here's my point. This is not funny. This isn't interesting. This isn't serious. There's not real demands made like, oh, we have this problem over here. There's this group of people starving over there. We have this concern. No one's making those demands. They're simply terrorizing the city of Portland in this case. It's happening in other cities. And so these people are terrorists. Now, here's where it gets interesting, in my opinion. At a certain point, All of this terrorism is counterproductive for the side of the ledger. I think they're on. I don't know. They're kind of so far gone that it's hard to call them only liberal Democrats. They're Antifa, they're Black Lives Matter. But only one of the two major parties has embraced those those people. And so at a certain point, when you don't have Joe Biden and his party able to separate from the terrorists, Every day that goes on, I think you have more and more people that look up and go, yeah, I don't recognize that. Those people, that's not something I recognize. We're not talking about 
the late John Lewis, the congressman uh, from uh, from Atlanta area, from Georgia, who was lying in state earlier today in the Congress, who was a, a pretty he's very liberal, but a very devoted uh, nonviolent guy started marching with Martin Luther King Jr. when he was 23. John Lewis was. And for the rest of his career, you know, he pretty liberal for me, way too liberal on lots of issues. But he was someone who uh, sort of walked the walk, not just talk the talk. Well, where has John Lewis gone? Where has all the folks like him gone? And here's the here's the, the, the payout. I'm pretty sure. I'm, in fact, I'm very sure that the politics of this are getting out of control for the Democrats. I think the president has been clear. He's going to defend federal buildings. He's going to defend the, the, the places where they ask for help and are invited in. They'll help. But if the mayor of, uh, of Portland, Mayor Wheeler, wants to let his city burn, he can do it. But he can, he's not going to be able to let the federal courthouse burn. And so now the terrorists, again, they don't have demands, they don't have expectations, they don't have any articulable uh, sense of what they're about. They're just about terrorizing, violence, hate, evil. Evil, that's what they're really about. They're just evil. I mean, you know, there's a point where I forget now who told me this. They said, when you see some of these people, how they act, you say that what's happening is evil. They, they, you know, they're standing over people and they're, they're hurting people and they're damaging property. So the twist here... The change here in the last five days, I think we'll look back on it and say, okay, that was a big moment. Because until then, it may have been confusing to the country. And and to be clear, there's no help coming from the mainstream media who refuses to cover this stuff in a meaningful way. When uh, uh, Press Secretary McEnany played the videos of some of these hateful people, these terrorists, on Friday, I think it was, in the press conference, the mainstream media turned it off. They didn't cover it. They moved away. They don't want to cover that. Well, it doesn't matter at this point. The, the, sometimes it's an image that can capture what's happened. And in my opinion, the image of, of lasers being used to maim law officers, to maim uh, uh, law enforcement officers, that's kind of the, the – I can see that. And I can see how cowardly and nasty and, and terroristic that is. So it sort of captures it pretty easily. And I think, you know, you can you don't have to worry. You don't have to think that through anymore. All right. Speaking of uh, lawlessness, in a moment, we're going to talk with uh, John O'Connor. John O'Connor is a prolific writer. He's going to talk to us. Uh, give us a legal analysis of the McCloskey case in St. Louis, where they stood their ground, stood up for themselves. Now they find themselves maybe charged with a crime. Well, we'll talk about that with John O'Connor. Later on, Dr. Brett M. Decker will be in. We'll talk a little China, China with him. And don't forget, stick around. I will explain what Kamala Harris is doing, who's going to be the VP pick for Joe Biden, and a lot more in the last segment. So hang on. Be right back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in a moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on a Pro-America Report. Our next guest is John O'Connor. And I should tell you, John, that I was on a call with some of my uh, Eagle colleagues, and one of them said, is this John O'Connor, the guy that wrote Postgate and uh, all about uh, Deep Throat? And I said, yeah, it is. And he said, oh, I can't wait to hear that interview. So good for you there. He, that's one of uh, one of your books. Uh, John O'Connor is a former uh, assistant U.S. attorney in Northern California, uh, did both civil and criminal cases, and wrote a book that's called Postgate, How the Washington Post Betrayed Deep Throat, Covered Up Watergate, and Began Today's Partisan advocacy journalism so first of all welcome john to the program how are you hey ed good to be with you 
Before we get to uh, St. Louis, which I want to talk about because it's my stomach grounds, I, I, answer me this about that last thing. Today's partisan advocacy journalism. Here's my question. Almost day after day, it gets more ridiculous, the coverage and what they're doing. And and here's the here's the sort of, uh, to me, the kill shot. Rasmussen had a poll that of the 2018 voters, people who voted in the 2018, which was a landslide for, you know, Democrats won everything. And 30 percent of the people were convinced of the Russia hoax. And that was just a hoax that the media had to know. They had to know they were in on the they were in on, you know, Schiff was in on it. That's easy. You know, Warner was in on it in the Senate intelligence. But the media knew it was not a real thing. And yet they pounded the message into the American people so that 30 percent of the people believe the Russia hoax. So, John, are, are we at the end of journalism? Because now we have regular CNN and everybody else is just making half the country, 40 percent of the country crazy with what they're doing. I mean, it, it's so it's so much worse than the deep deep time deep throat, isn't it? Well, yeah, uh, because deep throat still was at a time when there were standards in, in, in journalism. And if your if you, uh, audience goes to my book site, postgatebook.com, forget about my book for the time being. I'm not doing that to flack my book, but I've got maybe 25, 30 op-eds generally on the same subject about the way the media reports things. And I explain there how the media knew all the facts they needed to know about the Russia gate being nothing. Uh, I wrote about it in 2017 and said it was like Jerry Chuck, uh, Seinfeld show, a show about nothing. Um, and that's what it was. Same with Ukraine gate, but they do not tell you that. Now, why don't they tell you that? Because now journalism has jumped the shark from where it was in 72. How do you measure a good journalist? In the past, it was who, like, who, what, when, where, why. Uh, you know, are you impartial? Do you appear to be telling both sides of everything? That's how a journalist got his stripes. You appeared to be impartial, like uh, Walter Cronkite was very left, but he appeared to be impartial. Now, how do you measure success? These guys measure success by their political impact. And once your political impact, once you are on a team, which is what Watergate does, yeah. you, you can get right. uh, best-selling books, Oscar-winning movies, a lot of money, fame, and fortune. Your newspaper can go to great heights. Your corporation can be worth a lot of money if you get a scalp yeah. on the wall. So that's the way you measure effect now. Do you get points uh, for your candidate? Are you boosting in the polls? Are you depressing Trump's polls, et cetera, et cetera? Once those people put on a jersey, they're not journalists anymore. It is. Uh, it's amazing. And but to me, it's amazing. It's almost like it's uh, and I, I give Trump credit. He kind of exposed them. He, he, they, he they went crazy. And as, as they went crazy, exposed them. Now, let me I don't want to let this go because we're talking with John O'Connor, who uh, is he's a lot of things. He's a lawyer. Uh, I mean, excuse me, he's an author and a columnist, but he's a lawyer first and was a prosecutor in St. Louis. I happen to know that I lived two blocks from where the McCloskey's lived. I didn't live in the big houses. I lived in an apartment, a rental apartment. I, between McCloskey's house and my house was the boyhood home of T.S. Eliot, which I loved to go past. It was really great, oh, but no I don't also much, no yeah, much humbler. Uh, yeah, on, on Mc, yeah, on McPherson and a block the other way was the childhood home of Phyllis Schlafly. I mean, she grew up about a block and a half. Anyway, so we're back to McCloskey. I happen to know the prosecutor, the assistant prosecutor in the city. 
who his name's uh, Chris Chris uh, uh, Brinkley. I might be pronouncing Hinkley. Hinkley. Chris Hinkley. Sorry, I was thinking of Mar- John uh, John Hinkley. Chris Hinkley, who yeah. said to to the guys, "Go check that gun. If it's not put together right, put it together right." And they did. And I know the guy. He's a good Navy retired Navy uh, pilot and a decent guy. I thought. I mean, it's crazy. But uh, how are they, uh, John uh, John O'Connor? How are they going to prosecute the McCloskeys? The gun the wife had didn't work, so she wasn't using. She knew it wasn't a gun. So she, she's got a different level of knowing what she could do. And he made clear in every interview he was he was fearful of his life and his property. Isn't that standard stand your ground stuff? Well, first of all, Missouri has, of course, the Castle Doctrine to protect your home, which gives them added uh, right. heft should they have attacked yep. them. Now, they didn't attack them, so they didn't need to shoot their weapons in self-defense. But here's my point. To get that charge, the charge is flourishing, as they say it in Missouri, out in California, it'd be brandishing. Same thing, yeah. you're waving your weapon around in a manner that suggests that you're going to shoot somebody. And, of course, when I think somebody's going to shoot me, I, I you know that, that's really something that is a, a, a fearsome event. But there's no doubt from looking at that, those the, the film, that the McCloskeys were not acting offensively. They're acting defensively, and they were not brandishing or flourishing. They're basically displaying. So if you've got a second right. left right, can't you display your weapons and say, look, you guys, here's what they're saying. We're all cool now. You take this up and you escalate it. We're just letting you know we I got guns. That's all they were right. doing. Now, that's not flourishing or brandishing. Now, you're a St. Louis guy. I have, have buddies there, and that area of town is very cool that you're talking about. It's near the Chase Hotel, yeah. the old... Uh, the yep. old uh, houses. I love it. Um, yep. But what I would say is this. The McCloskey's got the two best lawyers in St. Louis. they got Gerald Schwartz and uh, Scott Rosenblum, two of the best five, I'd say. They're going to wipe the floor with this prosecutor who's just out of her depth. Uh, the criminal defense bar there, which is largely minority, a lot of minority, good, very good minority lawyers, they don't like her. They think she's not doing her job. Right. She's not protecting the minority community. And she's not charging crimes that should be charged. And then, and instead, she's right. charging this one. There's no way that there's going to be a conviction on this one. It's just unfortunate, though, that the message she's sending out is in favor of the mob, in favor of the looters, and against people who are defending. I mean, if anybody should be <laughs> charged in this. It's the threatening behavior of the mob. They were the ones that were assaultive. Assaultive meaning you are putting someone else in fear of their safety. Why did the McCloskeys end their meal? Because they were just having fun or because they were scared out of their minds? They were scared out of their minds. Yeah. And so, so, well, and that, so and that, and that, and that, and that, and, and and let me ask you another thing. Again, we're talking with John O'Connor, who's in private practice now, and you can uh, you can uh, look uh, look his stuff up. His uh, law firm is JOCLaw.com, uh, former f- a federal prosecutor. But this is another example of things that have changed. These prosecutors now, she ran for, Gardner ran in the primary. There's no Republicans that can win in the city of St. Louis, all Democrats. So the primary right. is it. In the primary, there's like seven candidates. Two or three are actually prosecutors or even public defenders. She's not, but she's funded by Soros. And 
And once she's in office, she's totally gone for that agenda. Now, I know there's a history in the law and in American jurisprudence of, of, of prosecutorial discretion, but there was supposed to be bounds. You know, it's like Peter Strzok was supposed to be, if he had biases, the FBI agent who showed he was really very, very, you know, in my mind, very poorly trained and, and a bad actor, he should have put his biases aside because he was highly trained because he'd signed on to do that job. He was an FBI agent. I don't believe he didn't. I don't believe every FBI agent doesn't has zero biases. But we used to have federal uh, state prosecutors, city prosecutors who put aside their biases and did their job. Now they're just political hacks, right? Well, that's right. And what we have is, yes, there's prosecutorial discretion, but there's also this little thing called an oath where you swear that you're going to uphold the laws you're sworn to enforce. And uh, right. that's not exactly done by source. And then so that's the answer to this prosecutorial discretion. She's there's such a thing in the law, very well recognized, called abuse of discretion. And if there's abuse right. of discretion, Kim Gardner's doing that right now. Yeah, it certainly seems like it. John, I'm sorry to say time flies. John O'Connor, I should have t- I talked less and had you talk more. We'll have you on again. John O'Connor, and uh, I'll put up uh, his uh, website, which I think will be valuable, too. I was in there while we were talking. Postgatebook.com and backslash articles. You'll see a bunch of his stuff. So thanks, John, for being on. Hey, Ed, great. Good to be with you. Let's do it again, huh? Oh, we will. I'll do it again. Okay, thanks, John. We'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Be back in one moment. This is the Pro-America Report on The Answer, San Diego. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. Our old friend, Dr. Brett M. Decker, the New York Times bestselling author. He's written many books. Uh, he's one, one, one is a New York Times bestseller. The other is just bestsellers. And he was the Washington Times editorial page editor. And also early in his career as a journalist was with the Wall Street in their Asia Bureau. Uh, lived over in the Far East, including in Hong Kong. And now is a professor at Defiance College in Ohio. Welcome back, Dr. Decker. How are you? Oh, good. You know, lots of storms out here in the Midwest. So, you know, it's good yeah. for an election year. Lot, you know, well, uh, actually, you remind me of this. I, I, yeah, you remind me of this. So I'll go to that first because I was going to ask you about China. I'll come back to it. You wrote a piece. You were you were solicited by the USA Today, which is as these board of advisors and writers. And you're one of them to say if Biden was smart and wanted to win the election, who would he pick as his VP? And, of course, everybody's assuming he's going to pick an African-American uh, for uh, I think he will, by the way. I think he thinks he's going to win. The polls have convinced him that. So he's going to pick whatever he thinks he can pick as a kind of historical vanity play, as opposed to doing something like you suggest. Tell us who you suggested and why. I think it was exactly right. Go ahead. Yeah, you know, one thing about Joe Biden, right? He's never been a deep thinker or anything. So he's, <laughs> he's going to look and see what's going to be the most popular with the media, if if he's even right. conscious of making a thought at all right now, right? So, so right. I, what I wrote for USA Today is, well, one, everybody's saying he has to pick a black woman. You have to pick a black woman, whatever. You know, you have to stop Black Lives Matters and the anarchists from burning cities down or whatever. The one thing the black vote has shown, and I think it's sad, is that the Democratic Party can totally take advantage of them and take them for granted because they'll deliver their vote anyway. So under no circumstances does a, a, a Democratic candidate, Biden or anyone else, have to pick a black running mate because they got that vote locked up. So start looking for something you do need. And and what I wrote in USA Today was, look, what flipped the election to the GOP? last time for President Trump in 2016 was for the first time since 1984, 
uh, a Republican presidential candidate got Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, Michigan, Ohio all in one shot. Well, those are the Great Lake states. You got a lot of sort of working class voters that like Trump, uh, make America great, bring factories back here and, and shut them down in China policies. So pick the Michigan governor. If you want to, if you want to start looking at the electoral map, Biden should look at what are the states that um, Trump chipped away at, and let's try to let's try to flip them back into the D column. So I said, Michigan Governor Whitmer. Well, she drives me crazy. She drives lots of people crazy. But if you're looking at a ticket, what do you do? You try to take away states that the, the their team won last time. And I think I think that's why I need to pick Whitmer. She's pretty popular in Michigan. You know, Trump only yeah. won Michigan by uh, two tenths of of one percent. That's a tiny. It's like is ten thousand votes. Two years later, when she ran right. for governor, Whitmer won by 10 points. So to me, that can just lock up the state for Biden, and that's what he needs to do. I don't want him to do it. Obviously, I don't want him to win. I got a lot of nasty grams and hate mail saying, yeah. oh, did you left the GOP. I'm like, like, no one thinks a journalist can actually analyze anything anymore without it being a personal opinion. It's crazy. Well, and we're talking with Dr. Brett M. Decker, and you know, you've never, I don't think you've ever published it. You've told me about it, and I've seen it, but you sent a memo to, uh, am I allowed to talk about this? You sent a memo to, I don't care, it's just too late, to, to Donald Trump uh, years before he ran, saying if you're going to run, you got to win, and your path is through Pennsylvania, I think you said Pennsylvania, Michigan, Wisconsin, exactly what happened. So it's not like you're not thinking about this. I mean, that's where you grew up, out in Michigan and all. That, so now my next question is, is it possible, I said this earlier, in the program tonight is it possible that they're gonna you know maim law enforcement officers with lasers in the portland city streets and burn minnesota minneapolis and and take over blocks in seattle and other places are normal americans gonna say well i i'll go with joe biden or are they gonna say it's his side of the ledger that's in, that's doing this i mean i think i think the silent majority vote is going to be huge in this election um, one thing, last yeah. week I was drilling down into some of the sampling for some of the polling going on right now, and Trump yeah. is actually polling two or three times higher among minority voters than he was last time, black and Hispanic voters mostly, which is, to me, that's very interesting. So if he's yeah. polling higher with black voters, imagine how suppressed the white vote is in polls because you can get fired if you say you support President Trump right now, right? If you, yeah, if you yeah. even suggest that you're not for total anarchy, you can lose your job. So my guess is if if polls were skewed under Hillary, think how much they are now. If someone shows up at your door yeah. with, with a clipboard, right. are you going to say, oh, yeah, I support <laughs> Trump? No way. Well, and as you and I have talked about before, I mean, you know, you wrote on Trump, I don't know, two or three dozen times, wrote a book on Trump, all these things. You don't offer that info until you know what setting you're in, because it's just it, it, people have been made to feel that way. The the, the problem is that I, I the worry I have is that people are so tired of chaos that sometimes you say, I'll just take a change. And that's that's what I mean. All right. I need to go, though, and ask you about this because we haven't been together on the, on the radio for a, almost a week. Um, China, we closed the consulate in Houston because we knew they were stealing and cheating they close the chinese government says they're going to close an american consulate let's be honest is there anything else that consulates do other than spy and cheat and and try to game the system isn't that what they do well you have a lot of consulate consulates in some places where they actually effectively are an embassy so when i lived in hong kong for example and you had one country two systems you didn't have an embassy 
in Hong Kong because it was part of it's part of China technically, but you had separate immigration rules and everything. So uh, visas, everything, you know, passports, anything. If you if you, for example, got in prison. Uh, which we, we can talk about on a different show. It's, you know, it, it's a conflict <laughs> gets Americans gets Americans out of trouble. So, so the, the one they're talking about closing is in Hong Kong, and that's tremendously important. If you're an American businessman over there, you really can't do anything without the consulate being open. So, um, it's kind of ramping up, ratcheting up this disagreement between the Trump administration and Winnie the Pooh over there, uh, President Z, President Xi over Hong Kong. It's um, so will it stop now? I mean, I don't know if you saw Pompeo, Secretary of State Pompeo basically uh, compared the, ch- the Chinese regime to the old Soviet regime. I mean, that's going pretty far along the path of what I've been calling a second Cold War. Right. I mean, you're we're basically saying we're not going to ever sort of we're gonna, if you take that to its conclusion, it's it's the Reagan thing. You know, we win, you lose, isn't it? What I think is fascinating about this idea of a Cold War is. I would have never felt that we could rely on Europe for anything. They've been completely unreliable friends for like the last 20 years. Um, Europe is now starting to say, whoa, China's getting out of control. Um, and, you know, they're, they're very suspicious of what China's doing in Hong Kong. And, and you're starting to hear rumblings of Europe saying, you know what, we have to push back against Beijing. And I, I, I never would have predicted that. It's, it's shocking to me. But I think it's a pretty good sign of, some people might say, hey, enough is enough, and we're supposed to be moving towards more freedom, not less. <laughs> I mean, maybe here at home yeah. we need to be worried about that, too. Yeah, it's. Uh, I guess the question is, um, now when you go sort of tit for tat, they, we close a consulate of the Chinese in Houston, they close one, an American consulate over there, you know, sort of what comes next? And frankly, it, it, aren't the Chinese just treading water hoping that Trump loses and they get, some, they get something new? That's definitely that's definitely what they're hoping, and and I think the one thing which I always emphasize when we talk about your show all the time, China can't go tit for tat with the United States forever, because they need us more than we need them. We can buy junk that's made cheaply anywhere on the planet. They can't sell their stuff anywhere else. They need us. We don't need them. And eventually that comes into play. If you look at the trade war that President Trump initiated, our economy was booming and China was struggling. What we need is other leaders in America that realize what President Trump realizes that, you know, we have leverage over China. We need to use it. Yeah, and well, and, and I guess they did one round of Chinese uh, of, of a trade deal with China. They were counting on others. I guess that's all on hold. Right. And I suppose, you know, the question becomes in January of 2021, who's China dealing with? And it'll set the whole agenda. Right. Yeah, I mean, actually, nobody knows what's going on in the world, right? We don't even know if we're going to be playing football in a month. So the idea yeah. of multilateral billions of dollars in multilateral trade when factories might not be running, farmers might not be producing, um, it, it complicates trade when you don't even know what kind of products you're going to be looking at. Yeah. All right, Dr. Brett M. Decker, as always, thank you for your wisdom, and uh, we'll talk again next week, and uh, and I'll take this uh, interview with him and put it up over at, uh, at ProAmericaReport.com. You can go there and listen to it again and again and again and see if he says anything different each time or play it backwards like the Beatles' uh, White Album. All right, thank you, Dr. Decker. Uh, we'll take a quick break and be right back. It's Ed Martin here on the ProAmerica Report. Be back in a moment. This is the ProAmerica Report on The Answer, San Diego. This is the Phyllis Schlafly Report. 
a daily broadcast from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, a national volunteer organization founded by Phyllis Schlafly and continuing to uphold her legacy by opposing radical feminism and representing a traditional conservative perspective in our nation's capital. Now the president of Phyllis Schlafly Eagles, Ed Martin. Peaceful protest is a cornerstone of American society. If you don't like something in America, you have the right to say so publicly as long as you aren't infringing on the rights of others. The many peaceful protesters you'll find outside abortion mills are an excellent example of this great American institution at work. Thousands of passionate pro-life Americans gather outside abortion centers to pray, protest, and offer alternatives to desperate women. I'm so thankful for the courageous acts of these patriots and leaders. However, the people who oppose these pro-lifers are not as admirable. In fact, many are openly violent to those who want to support life. At one facility in Illinois, two groups hurled eggs at young pro-lifers peacefully kneeling in prayer. The police are investigating this incident, but there are countless others like it that are never investigated. Pro-choicers have been known to destroy personal property, not to mention punching and spitting on people they disagree with. Vulgar language and intimidation are common. These aren't just isolated cases with a few extremists. The hatred of pro-choice counter-protesters is widespread and it's dangerous. In some areas, expressing pro-life views is tantamount to taking your safety in your own hands. If we're going to preserve the noble right to protest in America, we have to reopen the dialogue that's been closed for so long. Pro-lifers aren't afraid of the dialogue. We know science is on our side. We know righteousness is on our side, too. It's the pro-choicers who want to shut down dialogue. They lash out with violence and vitriol because they know they can't win a fair debate. If you're a pro-life activist, you should be applauded for fighting so hard for the cause of righteousness. More than this, you should be encouraged that your fight is not in vain. When you are attacked while standing up for your convictions, you reveal the weakness of the pro-choice belief system. And you let other Americans who are on the fence see how pro-choicers actually act. Keep standing tall for the unborn. You're standing on the bedrock of our republic. This has been the Phyllis Schlafly Report from Phyllis Schlafly Eagles. Despite the outrageous pro-abortion stance of many liberals, the vast majority of American people value human life. More than ever, pro-life voices need to stay vigilant and be heard. At phyllisschlafly.com, we're not backing down. Please, join us in the battle for life at phyllisschlafly.com. Thanks for listening, and join us again for the Phyllis Schlafly Report. Welcome back. Ed Martin here on the Pro-America Report. We've got a few things to cover. A couple of emails from you uh, over the weekend. I won't, I won't tell a lie. I got a couple of these emails last week and I didn't get to them. Uh, so I'm not telling a lie. But a couple of things you want to send. Oh, um, yeah, let me give, give some credit where credit is due. One of you also sent in over the weekend the um, uh, Blinded by Lasers article. It was uh, uh, someone saw it at the New York Post.com. So that was, um, uh, let me find it here. James, it looks like. James, thank you for sending that. Second, uh, second topic we did, I started to ask Dr. Decker about this. Many of you are asking or, or, you know, sending emails and commenting what happens with the vice presidential pick uh, I, for, for the Democrats, obviously. First of all, let's talk about Kamala Harris for a minute. Um, today, uh, the story came out that the, the guy who's vetting 
vice presidential candidates for Joe Biden is the former senator from Connecticut, Senator Chris Dodd. Chris Dodd is himself the son of a senator from Connecticut. His father was a senator for many years. And Chris Dodd, who's got to be 75 or so, and his his uh, newest wife is about 40 years younger than him. And Chris Dodd has about a 10-year-old son, which is there's nothing illegal about that. It's just worth pointing out. It's uh, That's the kind of character, kind of guy we have, famous in many stories and publicly written so not disputed he never sued for defamation uh being one of the great drinking partners with ted kennedy with all that that entailed if you get my drift and one famous story about the two of them uh can only be described as uh, as they called it uh, forming a sandwich with a waitress uh physically uh in a restaurant in dc so this is the character this is the guy who is in charge of the vp search with joe biden so there you have that remember that it's the Me Too era, and that Joe Biden has promised he will pick a woman as his running mate. So you put all that together, and Chris Dodd, Senator Dodd, said he's now a, a, a well-paid lobbyist, you know, a big lobbyist now, and uh, in the swamp, you know, uh, milking the swamp for all it's worth. And Senator Dodd said earlier today, was quoted earlier today, saying that, well, when Kamala Harris uh, was confronted with her criticisms of um Senator Biden during Vice President Biden during the debates, she laughed and didn't take it back. So Chris Dodd said this was, you know, kind of not very nice and very unpleasant. Of course, the media is going crazy, making it all wild. Here's the real deal. That none of that is uh, something that would knock her out or knock anybody out. That, that this is a swamp story. It's not meant to be anything other than that. In fact, it could be. Uh, it could be meant to show somehow that uh, Joe Biden is going to be so tough. He's going to pick someone who criticized him. Although I doubt it. Uh, but here's what you need to know about this one. This is kind of important to figure out to track this because of the polling and the, and the sort of it's like the Hillary effect where everybody's telling Biden about how he's going to be president, just like they told Hillary. And he's figuring out who's going to get what job and who's going to be in what place and who he's going to put on the Supreme Court. He believes that he can do what he wants because he's already won. So he's not going to be practical and he's not going to be smart. He's going to do what he wants, which is okay. I mean, again, he's a nominee, he's a nominee. But here's what's missing from everybody's analysis. Joe Biden is not doing anything, really. He is dominated. He is con- kind of controlled or managed by the establishment Democrats who decided he was their best bet. And, and, and the media said, oh, yeah, he's their best bet. Look at this. We, we helped pick him. We helped prop him up. We helped not write the stories that would have got him knocked out. Ask, the, ask any Bernie Sanders uh, supporter. They all believe what I'm saying is true because they watched the media treat Joe Biden in a way that was different. And so now Joe Biden is the pick because they think he can beat Trump, you know, because he got some roots in uh, Pennsylvania and maybe he can attract, as Dr. Decker said earlier, some of the voters in the uh, in some of the Rust Belt states and all that. But uh, but what's missing here in your in the calculation is this is a swamp play. So like Susan Rice the former national security advisor under Obama, who, who's out there campaigning to be vice president. She has no chance. If she was named VP, you talk about Benghazi, which she was in the middle of. You talk about the Flynn case, which she was in the middle of. There's no way that's going to happen. Instead, it's going to be Kamala Harris. And the reason it's going to be Kamala Harris, and you're now seeing people try to pick her apart a little bit and say this and that, but the reason it's going to be Kamala Harris is because the number one, in, uh, the number one candidate in terms of endorsements 
by the uh, by the super delegates. The Democrat Party has their party nom- uh, nomination system is dominated by super delegates. Super delegates are all the insiders, the people that are you know <clears throat> long time uh, uh, poobahs, and they and they give them all these titles. All the members of Congress are super delegates. That means you don't have to compete to be a delegate to the convention. You're automatically there. And so the superdelegates endorsed two candidates, by far the most endorsements of two candidates in the, in the Democrat primary in the past year and a half. The top one, Joe Biden. <coughs> Pardon me, because Joe Biden is controlled by the media. I mean, excuse me, by the establishment. But the number two, Kamala Harris. So if the people who are managing, you know, the professional class, like the Republicans tried to do for Jeb, Exactly like the Republicans were trying to do the donor class, the professional consultant class, the swamp, the bureaucrats, the politicians in the Republican primary wanted it to be Jeb and they couldn't pull that off because of Trump. And in the in the Democrats case. The, the grassroots wanted Sanders, but the power of the swamp, the establishment, the insiders, the bureaucrats, all those folks was too strong. And so they won out. They're not going to go put a wild card. Congresswoman Bass from California. No way. They're not going to put in some outsider that's not un- doesn't understand the way the game's played. They're going to go right with the game. It's worked for them. It's what they know. It's the air they breathe. And it's what they'll do. So that's why you're, what you're seeing is all mostly fluff and, uh, and not real uh, going on now. All right. Uh, we got to wrap things up. Thank you, as always, to Noah, our great technical director, and uh, Joanna for helping book the show. We will be back tomorrow night, of course. And uh, later on this week, we've got some great guests coming in. We have great guests every night, but some really special ones I'm looking forward to, and we'll get to them. So go to ProAmericaReport.com. Get the show as a podcast. Get the show in bite-sized segments, standalone, all that and more. And we'll be back tomorrow night. It's Ed Martin here on the Pro America Report. Talk to you then.